You're listening to Symmetry Health 360. This episode is brought to you by Symmetry Coding and Oasis eSolutions, the leading experts in QAP coding and CMS rulings in home health and hospice. Today's episode is hosted by Charles Bresnicki, Senior Clinical Consulting Manager, Janon Griffin, Principal, Senior Vice President Coding, and John Rabia, Director, Operations Consulting. Join these experts for Crack the Code, Mastering Oasis E for Improved Patient Care. I'm Janai Griffin, and I'm one of the principals over the Coding and Oasis Department here at Symmetry. And with me today is John Rabia and Charlie Bresnicki, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. John? Thanks, Janan. Hello, everyone. My name is John Rabia. I am a director on our operations consulting team here at Symmetry. I am a physical therapist by training with about 20 years of experience in the post-acute space, from patient care as a therapist in the field, to clinical management, to executive work over both quality and operations with both standalone and hospital-based home health agencies. So that is my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> Charlie? Thanks, Janan. My name is Charlie Brez Nikki. I'm a director on the clinical operations team as well. I'm a registered nurse with about 15 years in the home health space, worked as a field nurse and manager, and a lot of my time has been spent in the compliance realm. So very comfortable to work with the data as well as operations. Thanks, Charlie. I'm really excited to get together today, and we're going to talk a little bit about everything. But first of all, let's dive into Oasis E, new for everybody this year. How do you guys think it's going with our agencies? Well, I think we got off to a little bit of a rough start with some of the issues that various EMRs were having, but it seems like most of that is cleared up at this point. I think, and Charlie, you know, let me know if you've heard differently. We've been actually pleasantly surprised to learn that the Oasis E really hasn't added quite as much time to the visits or the assessments as we had feared initially in the lead up. Some of the things I've been hearing is anywhere between 15 and 30 minutes to a start of care, I think people are experiencing the biggest difference with discharges, with those taking a little bit longer than they have in the past as we pay a little bit more attention to those extra uh, M items. Right. Charlie? Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, we're hearing a lot more about the length of time at a discharge, which I think is a lot related to processes and making sure that you're preparing for the discharge, making sure patients are aware of that. And then what is the plan for the patient after a discharge? So making sure all of that is in place, that handoff is there once that is done. As far as the initiation of care, the starts of care, like John said, 15, 20 minutes, not much more, not the hours and hours that was initially feared on those initial assessments. Yeah, I agree. And we're seeing it too in the coding department. Um, it's just taking just a little bit longer for us to review. We did a time study, just a few minutes. But it's really hard to tell at this point, is it a fairly new assessment and that's why it's taken a couple of minutes? Or is it just that you're not used to everything yet? Or is it really that many more questions? And I think a lot of the questions are patient-based. And so it's really not a lot of assessment to it. So it's a lot of questions around social determinants of health. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about that later. But a lot of it, I think, is patient answered. And so it's really not as difficult as we thought it was going to be. So I'm happy about that. Have you heard anything from the agencies, any big items in OACC that are still tripping people up? Like any certain questions? Are people still confused about the BIMS and the CAM or maybe the medication section? Have you heard anything about any of that from the agencies? 
No. Not really. Um, <laughs> okay. no, I think that they're getting through it. So um, I know that there was a lot of fear around like the BIMs and how to mm-hmm. conduct that. But I think agencies have adapted. One thing that I've heard from several agencies is they're trying to collaborate a lot more between the nurses and the therapists and making sure that that is being done and being scored accurately up front. And I think that's great. We've been saying that to agencies for a long time, and it's just not really happened in a lot of agencies. Staffing shortages, have you felt, have you heard from agencies how they're getting around OASIS and the length of time that it may be taking with the staffing shortages? Are they taking less patients or how are they doing that? Do you know? Are there any tips and tricks? Yeah, there might be a little bit of a reduction in capacity, although I don't think that that's been really prevalent. One of the big things that we've seen is just sort of accommodations in terms of how productivity is measured with these various OASIS assessment visits. Some of the agencies, if they use a weighted methodology, they'll add, I think, about a half a point to a starter care, basically a half a point to most of the OASIS assessments is what I've seen. Or if they're just doing a pure visit methodology, reducing it by perhaps about a half a visit on average per day over the course of the week. That's been kind of the biggest thing that I've seen. One of the things I think agencies need to be thinking about or or that they've sort of almost been panicking about with the end of the public health emergency, agencies have gotten very, very comfortable with the flexibility around being able to have any clinician really do that start of care. And now it's sort of been a record screech, uh, you know, when, when the uh, public health emergency ended to say, oh, wait, you mean we need to have a nurse do that start of care now? And the answer is yes. So <laughs> I think that is really going to be the bigger issue um, in the immediate future. How do we adapt to that from a staffing standpoint? Right. Yeah, I think that that is going to be a big thing. I think that agencies, if they can kind of leverage what they learned from the PHE, if they gave the skill set to the PTs and especially the OTs in that OASIS, how can you leverage the knowledge that they gained from that to complete that OASIS? Because now the OTs who before were not able to do the starts of care, if your agency had taught them how to, they now have that knowledge that they're able to contribute that to the start of care up front to share that. So they understand what goes into it, how to communicate that to the RN or the PT who did that OASIS. So they have the knowledge. It's just how do we get them to continue to use that, to share that with their peers, to complete that initial assessment? I think the other big thing from an operational standpoint is agencies really strengthening their case management model and how they utilize other disciplines like LPNs or PTAs to do more of those routine visits and of course partner very tightly with the case manager so that we have great continuity of care and excellent communication. But how do we utilize that most effectively to make sure that folks are working at their top license and that we have those clinicians to do timely starts of care and make sure we're getting those research done in the five-day window and being really thoughtful about our discharge assessments and not just kind of whipping through it and filling out the OASIS as fast as possible. But how do we actually give it the attention it needs by utilizing all of the different types of staff who are available to us. I've heard a couple of things about staffing, just, and I know this is a little change of subject, but not really. Some agencies are moving some of their quality staff back into the field just because they don't have enough field staff. And so just wondering how you see those trends. I also was on the phone with an agency this week and they are trying to re-implement, they did this several years ago, but they're trying to re-implement nursing and PT possibly doing a co-visit at the start of care as that collaboration. So have you seen agencies doing either one of these things? And if so, 
you know, is that a recommended thing or do you think that's a smart idea? Do you think it's a scheduling nightmare? <laughs> All of the above. <laughs> I, I mean, in terms of having nursing and therapy go out, it's a luxury if you're able to do it. It's a logistical feat of scheduling. So kudos yes. to the folks who are able to do it. I think sort of a semi-overlapped visit, you know, maybe have nursing start out have a period of overlap at the end of the nursing visit, beginning of the therapy visit, and then let therapy go to town in there. You know, so you have that period of coordination and collaboration if you can manage to do that. I haven't seen many agencies be able to do that in real life. A lot of folks have talked about it, but it's certainly the minority of the folks who have the availability of staff and the scheduling acumen to be able to pull it off. Right. Yeah, there's an agency... Um... I've heard of, uh, I mean, at least one that they're piloting it in one office and the feedback from the nurses and the therapists have been that they love it. But again, like John said, is it's a logistical challenge. So it might very well be a staff satisfier. So if you're looking to keep your staff happy, it might be something to look at there because they can learn from each other. But again, you really have to coordinate and make sure that you're having that occur because you don't want them there at the same time to try to get that consent sign and everything done at the beginning while the therapist has to do their assessment and have the patient up and ambulating. So having that overlap for a bit can really help. As far as the QA staff out in the field, this can be a benefit, but you just have to be aware of the loss of and the delays potentially in reviewing OASIS because we're back with the PHE ending that we need to get that OASIS in timely. So you don't want to have a bottleneck further down the road. The good thing is they're going out there with the knowledge of how the OASIS should be scored. So their OASIS should not need as many corrections as someone who does not review the OASIS all the time. So weighing each option. And you bring up a good point about kind of the expertise of the quality folks reviewing the OASIS. I think we've seen a lot of agencies double down on ensuring that their reviewers are credentialed. They're OASIS certified, I think now more than ever between OASIS-E and value-based purchasing, which we'll be talking about in an upcoming episode, it is absolutely mission critical that the folks who are doing that review are truly knowledgeable in OASIS credential. And if you're not able to do that, then to really think very carefully about whether or not outsourcing would be your better bet, because that is going to give you much more of a return on investment in terms of getting the right patient-related grouping and billing period reimbursement, and also your value-based purchasing outcomes. And I can tell you, even when, before I became a consultant, I was a COO at an agency and we ended up, we had six, maybe quality staff. We ended up outsourcing for the sheer fact that it took so much manpower and dollars to keep them educated. So not just that they were credentialed, but to keep all of the updates going and then they educate everybody. It, it was a feat in and of itself. So. Let's talk a little bit about OASIS-E and risk adjustment. I've had more agencies than I even care to talk about in the past months talk about how they're trying to fix their risk adjustment. Is risk adjustment fixable? Uh, the short <laughs> answer is no, not really. <laughs> there is a lot that goes into the risk adjustment. CMS has a lot of factors and each factor impacts all the others. So you're looking at the demographics, how responses are made to the OASIS, diagnoses, each of those will have a different impact. So you may try to change one thinking it's gonna have an impact, but what may happen is you shifted a risk adjustment in a different way. A lot of the data coming out, the risk adjustments have gone down and 
Part of that is due to when there's been a big change in a risk adjustment model, we can expect that to see. It's almost the growing pains as we move into that new model. So as we get further along into OACC and using that as part of the risk adjustment model, we should see a smoothing out of the risk adjustment scores and then closer to the observed rates. So the best thing that agencies could do is really, if they have any kind of a software that allows them to show where they score in a national ranking, tracking that over time, as well as their score, and continue to work on that actual rate, which moving that actual rate up should help to improve the risk-adjusted rate as well. All right, so we've talked a little bit about the new items in OACC and how people you know, have gotten used to the new items. What about the items that have been in OASIS for a while? Do you think people have a good grasp on those? Like our functional items, like our shortness of breath, like those items. There's always opportunity. We've had a huge amount of turnover in the industry. We've got a lot of new talent coming into the industry. I think teaching and staying up to date on OASIS, it's a perpetual process. It's something that we can always benefit from. So when we're looking at which items we really need to hammer on, I think one of the things that agencies, one of the mistakes that agencies make, particularly with OASIS education, is they try to download every single item guidance to clinicians all at once. When, you know, of course we want to strive for complete accuracy, but I think really prioritizing the items that are like the functionals, the items that contribute to your publicly reported outcomes, to your value-based purchasing, a huge amount of overlap there, your star ratings, really focus on those first and then work your way out into the other items from there. Because, you know, I mean, just thinking about the difference between the M1800s and the GGs, it's enough to make a new clinician's head spin. So I think there's always an opportunity there to have your pearls or your item of the week or or what have you to really keep people fresh and up to date. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And along those lines is really identifying who are those staff that get it right and having them talk to the newer staff or those struggling to give that real world examples. All the guidance in the world, it can be great. But when you can talk to somebody about, hey, when I saw so-and-so here was the issue. Here's how we assessed him. Here's how we got that done. Here's how we scored that. It can go just a long way to talk about the, a similar case that they may experience. Yeah, I've seen a lot of agencies, especially with new clinicians, and you know we're getting clinicians wherever we can get them right now because everybody's short-staffed, a lot of them with no home care experience, and they put them through a two-day OASIS class, and they think they're ready to go, and that's really not the case, is it? <laughs> They're just not ready to go. I mean, I don't even, I can't even imagine being a hospital nurse and coming into the Oasis world. I was introduced to Oasis. That tells you how old I am. I was introduced to Oasis when I was already in home care. So I already knew home care and then went through the beta phase of Oasis. Again, old, I'm old. So, but imagine coming from an ICU, let's say, where you're just doing charting on vital signs and respirations and the vent settings. And now you come into the Oasis world and how overwhelming that is. And thinking, because you have instructed them two days worth of Oasis, that that makes sense to them. It really makes no sense to someone that doesn't know home care. So I think we do a lot of our staff a disservice because we're so hungry to have warm bodies, for lack of a better term that we kind of throw them to the wolves and then 
wonder why they can't get paperwork done sometimes. And it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, I get it from both sides, right? So I think we have to look at what kind of things can we do to maybe slowly get them into that, you know, maybe doing visits first and not necessarily do Oasis right off the bat. Even riding along with people, you know, that it still doesn't, all of the things together doesn't make sense to a brand new clinician that is new to home care. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point and a great strategy, you know, having those newer clinicians really function as a visit clinician, buddied up with a strong case manager. That's a win-win because now you've got somebody doing your routine visits and it gives that clinician a chance to get some sturdy footing underneath them and understand the setting and the regulations and all of the nuances of it before we dive into Oasis. And yep. many of the agencies that I've seen do Oasis really well, like Charlie said, they've identified their rock star clinicians who really get Oasis. They understand the conventions and they're very accurate. And then have those folks act as preceptors to do side-by-side visits and have them sort of silently fill out the Oasis alongside the newer clinician who's doing the assessment and then they can compare their inter-rater reliability after the fact and do some guidance and mentoring on items where they might not have a total agreement. I agree. We talked a little bit about discharges and they took a little bit of time. Why are discharges important? Well, I think that's really the closing out of that case of the patient's care. One, it really helps and show, did we meet their goals and are they ready for a discharge? What are they going to be a success? Are they going to end up back in the hospital with the agency again in a week or so? So we really want to really close that loop at the end and make sure that we've addressed everything. And it's also a way to demonstrate that we've done what we could. We got everyone in there. We helped the patient to meet their goals. In addition to CMS uses that to measure outcomes and how the patients have improved on publicly reported scores as well as VBP. Um, So it's just that closing out of that case. But no money's tied to that, right? Because that's what I hear a lot of times. No money's tied to it, so we don't really pay a lot of attention to that. Well, we're going into VVP now, so <laughs> yeah. those outcomes definitely, they, not yet, but 2025 will be here soon, and that's when the payment adjustments under VVP are going to hit. So. Right, right. And performance today is going to determine those payment adjustments in 2025. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, guys. This has been great talking about OACC. Um, In the next version, in the next module, we're going to talk a little bit about outcomes. 